Good morning. I just thought I would rep some more of our uh, merch out there. So just so you know, in case you want it, black hoodies and cream color hoodies. I really like these. Great way to, again, represent our church. And um, they're not too expensive. Great way to do that. So, well, good morning. I'm really glad you're here. You all sounded really good during worship. Now you look like you're dead or petrified or everybody up. Let's go. Everybody stand up. Give somebody a hug around you. Shake their hand if you don't like hugging. Fist bump, whatever it takes. enough. Everybody back to your seats. All right, I am really, really looking forward to today because we're continuing in our series called How Not to Read the Bible. And we've been doing this series for a few weeks and I I think it's been uh, really good because here's the subtitle of the book that we're going through, Making Sense of the Anti-Women, Anti-Science, Pro-Violence, Pro-Slavery, and other crazy-sounding parts of Scripture. Now, the title and the topics have been incredibly challenging for us as a teaching team. And I know Shelly did an amazing job last week, and, and Joel is up next week, so that, that will be good as well. But we have to, to do this, and we have to look at this, because the challenge for us as Christ followers today in our culture, the challenge is not to allow the current culture to determine our view of God and to determine our view of the Bible. The challenge is to allow the Bible to determine our view of God. No one else should do that, right? That that shouldn't come from anywhere else but from the pages of this book. This is what determines our view of who God is, what God is, how God is, and we have to hold on to that. People all the time. And especially because the buzz around this series has been so strong, people all the time are saying, well, you know what, I can't believe in God because the Bible says that he hates women. We talked about that. It's not what it says. I can't use your Bible because it says slavery is okay. We've been through that one. That's not what it says either. I believe in science, so there's no way I'd ever read this anti-science book. It, it just is not for me. Shelley did a great job last week kind of hitting around that topic. And then you hear things like, well, you, you know what? The Bible's saying that Christianity is exclusive, like there's no other way to God except through Jesus. No, no, not, not for me. That Bible is not for me. And here's the challenge with that. And, and here's the reason this is so important, because most people have their viewpoints on the Bible given to them by a friend or a teacher, or a co-worker, or a family member who's never even opened the Bible and read it. They heard some, something from someone else, or a meme they saw online, or a phrase they saw somewhere go, well, that must be true, when in fact it probably isn't true what you've heard. Again, all these topics are just not what they appear to be. And even if you're a Christ follower, statistically, 
90% of Christ followers have not read the Bible. So 90% of Christ followers, not saying you all, 90% of Christ followers have never opened the pages of this book to see what it actually says how in, and how impactful it can actually be. We need to change that, right? Let, let me, again, I'm going to reiterate this statement that I made the very first week when we started this series about myself and about community church, all right? I and we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God period. We believe that. I believe that with everything that I am. Every decision that I make, everything that I do is based on what's inside of this series of books. I believe and we believe that it's the source for everyday living. And I believe and we believe that it was written under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, which makes it true. And because it's true, it guides how we live our everyday lives. You need to have one of these. Or at least know how to find it on an app on your phone or your computer. Because you need to be reading and digging in to this book. Has anybody ever seen the Rorschach test? Does that name ring a bell to anybody? It's the inkblot test, right? Really, really popular, especially several years ago. Now, we're going to show you this picture and that's one of the ink blots in the Rorschach test, right? So I want you to look at that, and I want you to keep your answers PG. We are in church. Online, no, no rude, crusty comments, all right? Just whatever you see here, I'm going to ask you, what is it that you see in this ink blot? What do you see? Somebody tell me. What do you see? A what? A dog's face. Interesting. A warthog, a dragon. Somebody said dragon at 9 o'clock, and I don't get it. But anyway, you're allowed to think it's a dragon. That's good. Somebody else. Looks like what? Looks like a demon. That's a pretty... Listen, applause for a churchy answer. I like that, all right? So good job. You know, anybody think it looks like Darth Vader? Yeah. Maybe like a Spartan war helmet. You know, if you ever watched the movie, The 300, maybe, maybe something like that. Big, Bigfoot. Bigfoot, that was popular at 9 o'clock too. You know, so here, here we go, here we go. Who's right? Who's right? Is it a Spartan helmet? Is it Bigfoot? Who, who, who's right? Well, everyone, no one. This is a psychology test. Just so you know, there's not a right answer to this, okay? There, there just isn't. What you see is the right answer. Now, this test was huge, especially when it kind of broke through in the 1960s. And, uh, but the 1960s was also a, a time frame where, as a culture, we made a shift in our thought processes. And we made this shift to something called individualism. And the Rorschach test is all about individualism because there's no right answer. And maybe more importantly, there's no wrong answer. And that's why it fits into, into where we are. What you see is what you get. What you see, it's your answer. It's your truth. It's, it's what you think that it is. And whatever you think that it is, that's correct. And that's individualism. And it just keeps getting stronger and stronger 
and stronger in our culture, right? Now, that takes us to today's topic, which is, is the Bible intolerant? Uh, if you've talked to anyone outside of a church setting, maybe even inside of a church setting, you've heard this question. Because it's one of the most common things that people say when they're against the Bible. And it comes from individualism. Have you ever heard the phrase or said the phrase, my truth? You ever said that? That's pretty popular today. This is my truth. You can have your truth. This is my truth. And it's a question, again, it comes from individualism. Now, don't take this wrong, all right? Don't take it wrong, all right? My truth. Don't take this wrong. If you take this wrong, you send your concerns to joel at communitychristianchurch.com. He's speaking next week. He can counteract whatever we've said the past four weeks. So here it is. If you take it wrong, there is so much power in somebody's personal experience. So much power. There's so much power in, in your stories because your stories matter, right? What you've been through matters. Your life matters. All the good and all the bad. It matters. And so when you use the phrase, my truth, it's not always a negative or a bad thing because you matter and what you've experienced matters. But in our culture, that phrase has been taken to the extremes so that if, if you say that, that something other than what somebody else believes is true, what happens to you? You get canceled. That's what happens to you. You just watch somebody in the public eye that might be a public figure that steps up and says, I believe this is true. You know what's going to happen to them? They're out. They're back page news. They're, they're not going to stand. Our culture will not stand for anybody saying this is true. If somebody else says, that's not my truth, that's just your truth. And you go, well, where does this all come down? I mean, where, where, where do you find this ground to stand on. I, I mean, if you listen to Oprah, I know Oprah's a little bit older, but listen, when Oprah speaks, people listen. And here's what Oprah says. She says, there are many ways, many paths to what you call God. There couldn't possibly be one way. She's talking about faith, right? So this is my truth. My truth is there can't possibly be one way to God. There just can't possibly, if you even want to call him God. That's her viewpoint on that, right? That's her truth on that. Couldn't possibly be one way because I have my truth, you have your truth, and we all have different paths, and they all lead to God. Kind of like this. Have you seen one of these before? You got God at the top of the mountain. We're all trying to get there, and I have had thousands of people tell me, well, you know what, there are a lot of paths to God. Maybe for you, you're going to, you know, you're, you're going to go, well, how does that work? Maybe it's, it's Islam that leads to God, or maybe it's Hinduism that leads to God, or maybe it's Christianity that, that, that leads to God. But all roads just lead to God, right? They're all just different paths. They're all going to get you to the same top of the mountain. Here's what Madonna says. I know I'm going with my age on some of these quotes, all right? <laughs> Madonna said this. She said, I do believe that all paths lead to God. It's a shame that we end up having religious wars because so many of the messages are the same. 
Now, let me just tell you, as a pastor, it would make my job so much easier if that was a true statement. That no matter what you believe, it goes to God. Because you can have your truth, and 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 it doesn't matter because they're all leading to God. So believe whatever you choose to believe in, they all lead to the same place. Here's the question. Do all paths lead to God? Do they? I mean, if you look at the major world religions, there are some similarities. On the baseline teachings, there's some similar things. Like the golden rule. You know what that is in Christianity? Do to others what you would have them do to you. All right? It's a good Christian teaching. But if you look at Buddhism, it says this. Treat not others in ways you yourself would find hateful or hurtful. Same teaching, different religion. Or if you go to Islam, no one of you is truly a believer until he wishes for others that which he wishes for himself. Same teaching, different religion. So are they all the same? Or is Christianity kind of intolerant? Here's what Jesus said, all right? So look at a couple of scriptures. John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Does that sound kind of exclusive? Does that sound kind of countercultural? I mean, nobody gets to the top of the mountain unless they come through me. I think that's pretty exclusive, right? And Jesus is the one that said that. 1 Timothy 2 says this, For there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. One God, one mediator. Is that exclusive? Yeah, it really, really is. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else but Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Is that exclusive? Does that sound intolerant to any of you? Yeah, I, I would guess so. 1 John 5, whoever has the Son, Jesus has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God, Jesus, does not have life. That is absolutely intolerant. That is absolutely exclusive in the teaching. That leaves us with a problem. Because culture, Oprah, Madonna, your cousin Vinny, whoever it is in your family, all right, they're telling you there is not one way to God. It's okay to believe whatever you choose to believe. But Jesus and the Bible say there's only one way. So we have an issue. So what do we do? Well, just like we've talked about with every other week of this teaching series, if you have a challenge with the scripture, you never read that scripture out of context. Right? That means you take that scripture and you read before it and after it. You read the whole chapter of the Bible it's in. Maybe you read the whole book of the Bible that it's in. Maybe you go and you go, okay... I've got to find some other resources to see who he's talking to, why he's talking to them, what the background is. And if you don't do it, you're going to stay lost. So those are the things that we have to do. Here's, here's the chart that we've been using for, for quite a while. If you have questions, like you're reading the Bible, you go, I'm exclusion, I, I don't get that. You know, I, I just, 
always go to the beginning because there's more truth in the first couple chapters of the book of Genesis than you're going to find anywhere else ever. All right, that's just the first couple chapters. Go to the beginning. All right, Genesis 1, it's at the far left-hand side of, of that chart. Uh, it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. Now, that's backed up in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2, for there is one God. So in the beginning, the very far left-hand side of the chart, that's Genesis 1. That's the beginning of everything. That's the creation. That's where it all starts. So you have Genesis 1 there. And in the beginning, there's one God. God creates everything. Everyone that is created, everyone that is born after that, they're all worshiping one God. All right, Jehovah God, that's it. One God, that's who they're worshiping. And so you see that, and then you're going, well, things start to change. And things start to change. Again, I'm going to throw this chart up several times. Things start to change in Act 2, which is when humans rebel. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They did what God told them not to do. They only had one thing they couldn't do. God said, don't eat from this tree. They ended up, they both did it, by the way. It wasn't just a woman thing or a man thing. It was a they thing. All right? They chose to do that. They chose to rebel against God. They chose to give in to that sin. And so you see that happening right here. And when they started rebelling, things start changing because as the world grows, people start worshiping other gods. They start creating gods to worship. And then when you look at after the rebellion and after the sin kind of thing happens, and then God gives us a plan of redemption, that's Act 3, and that's with Israel right there. I mean, God starts putting into place, Jesus has been there from the beginning, from the creation. He was part of that, helping to create. He's there. He is God. But then you see all this start happening, and God says, I'm going to put a plan of salvation in place for you. Jesus is going to come to this earth. He's going to die for our sins. That's what he says. And that's referenced to all through the Old Testament. All right? All through the Old Testament books, which goes all the way up until Act 4. And so you see that happening. So you have Genesis 1, in the beginning God, everybody worshiped God. And then about 1500 B.C., you see Hinduism come into play. And then in 1440 B.C., you see Judaism come into play. And Judaism has Abraham and Moses, and they start waiting for the Savior to be born. That's Jesus. And even in Isaiah 53, which is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus is physically born in this plan of salvation, Isaiah 53 says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And that's, again, hundreds of years before Jesus is physically born in this plan of salvation. And then around 660 B.C., you have Taoism come in, and 563 B.C., you have Buddhism come in, and then Jesus is born. Okay, well, Scott, Jesus is only a couple thousand years old, right? I mean, that, that's when he's born. That's when he enters the picture. That's when the whole chart kind of, he's, he's all the way, you know, on the right-hand side of the chart, just past the middle. And you're going, that's only a couple thousand years. There's, there's no way that, that, you know, he could be at the beginning of this whole religion thing. But he is. He is in creation. He is part 
of creation. He's creating things. He's the beginning. In 1 Timothy 2, it says this, For there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Acts 4 12 says this, salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. All of those things came in through Jesus and they came true through Jesus. And because of those things, because of Jesus, it started what you're still part of today, the church. And you're going, well, I know the kind of shape the church is in in our current culture, right? I mean, people leaving and COVID kind of changed everything and the church is in trouble and, 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 and you see all that stuff happening. People, younger people are, are leaving the faith. Things are on a downturn. Don't miss this because this was an eye-opening thought for me. We as Americans only think as Americans. We don't think globally. If it's not happening in our backyard, it's not happening. It's kind of how we think. If I can't see it, live it, experience it in America, it doesn't matter. Now, I don't mind that opinion, but it's not a great opinion. Because in America, while the younger generations have moved away from faith in some respects, there's a resurgence of that happening again. But as in America, as that's happening, you're going, oh, the church is dead. You look at the eastern part of the globe, and you look at the southern part of the globe, and Jesus is on fire. The church is booming with growth. And it's all the younger generations coming into faith in Jesus. The church is not dead. And that's a challenge for us as Christ followers in the western part of the, of the, the globe, right? We're the ones taking criticism from people around us that go, oh, I just don't believe it. And you know why? Because we've been lazy with our faith. We've just gone, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus, whatever. But we don't allow it to change our lives. You look at the Far East, it's changing people's lives. You, you, you look at the, the South, man, they're not the same people they used to be. God is moving in those places, and we need to learn how to adapt because we are now missionaries in our own culture. We have to figure out how do we adapt to this, and how can we bring people into a relationship with Jesus just by our lifestyle, because trust me, if you live a Christian lifestyle in this culture, you stand out. Because there are so few of us doing that today. So you, you look at that, and then you're going, well, let's tie this whole thing up this morning and go, how, how does this fit in with being intolerant? Well, you understand the history, and you understand that there's this one God thing, but does that leave out the possibility of all these other religions and all these other roads leading to God. Let's listen to something else Jesus says. He says things like, I am God. I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Buddha says this. He says, I'm a teacher in search of truth. But Jesus said, I am the truth. Those aren't the same things. They're not the same religions. They don't get you to the same place. Buddha says, uh, or Buddha said, I'm in search of uh, truth. Muhammad said, unless God throws his cloak of mercy over me, I have no hope. And Jesus said, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. Confucius said, I never claimed to be holy. Jesus said, no one can come or can convict me of anything because I'm sinless, which means he's holy. 
None of those religions teach necessarily the same thing. They don't lead to the same God. They just don't. Now, C.S. Lewis was an Oxford professor. He was an atheist. Again, he, he came to this conclusion when he studied Jesus. He said, you cannot be neutral about the claims of Jesus Christ. He said, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's still the one thing that we must not say. He goes on to say, a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, interesting statement, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a man or a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being just a great human teacher. He has not left that open for us and he did not intend to. Read this book. You'll see that's true. There's no gray area here. There's, there just isn't. I mean, you look at all the claims of Jesus, they're pretty convicting. You know, all those sayings that nobody comes to the Father unless they come through me. You dig into all the prophecies written about Jesus from the Old Testament, hundreds of prophecies, and, and, and you look at those things, you're going, it's amazing to see the fingerprints of Jesus all through the Bible from the beginning all the way to the end. Matter of fact, the one thing that's always stood out to me about Jesus and fulfilling the prophecies, I've used this illustration a lot of times in the past, but even fulfilling eight prophecies of the Old Testament is the same chances of, um, it's the odds of one in 10 to the 17th power. That's 10 with 17 zeros behind it. Those are the odds of that happening, just doing eight of those prophecies. It would be the same odds as you taking a silver dollar and putting a red dot on one side of it. Then you go to the state of Texas and you cover the entire state three feet deep in silver dollars. And I'm going to blindfold one of you, set you loose in the state of Texas. You walk as long as you want, as far as you want. When you stop, you stop, you bend down, and you pick up the one silver dollar with the red dot on it out of that many silver dollars. Those are the same odds. That's unfathomable for Jesus to fulfill just eight of those prophecies, and he fulfilled hundreds of prophecies from the Old Testament. But you know what is amazing that, as that is? The ultimate proof of Christianity for me is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what it comes down to. Nobody else even claims that. You can look at any other world religion, it's not there. Why? Because if it was there, they would have to prove it. And since they didn't prove it, since they couldn't prove it, they didn't say it. But Jesus did. And Jesus proved it. And the records are there. All you have to do is read them. Hundreds of people changed after the resurrection. He showed himself to hundreds of people. Not just one or two. Hundreds. The proof 
of the resurrection changes everything. So is Christianity exclusive? Is the Bible exclusive? Yes. But if it's true, it has to be. It has to be. And so for you, you need to step back and you need to think, where is my truth? Because my truth is bigger than just for me. My truth is based on Jesus, who's written about in this book. So it's not just my truth anymore. Now it's our truth. And our truth can spread like it's doing through the entire globe and say exclusively, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we can love everyone, and we need to love everyone, no matter what their background is, no matter what their religion is, none of that stuff matters. What matters is you love God and love people, and you show them the truth that's written in this book. Will you pray with me? Father God, I pray for everyone in this room, and God, for everyone watching online, may you open up our hearts and our minds to it being more than just about us, to it being about what you want to do through us. God, help us to change the Western world. Help us to use our influences to say, because of Jesus, my life is different. And help people to see that. Thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.